0: Chapter twenty eight of Diana. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Bridget Gage. Diana by Susan Warner. Chapter twenty eight. Evan's Sister. Slowly from this time Diana regained strength, and by degrees took again her former place in the household. To Miss Collins' vision, she was the same as ever. Basil felt she was not. Yet Diana did every duty of her station, with all the care and diligence she had ever given to it. She neglected nothing. Basil's wardrobe was kept in perfect order, his linen was exquisitely got up, his meals were looked after, and served with all the nice attention that was possible. Diana did not in the least lose her head, or sit brooding when there was something to do. She did not sit brooding at any time, unless at rare intervals. Yet her husband's heart was very heavy with the weight which rested on hers, and truly with his own share as well. There was a line in the corners of Diana's sweet mouth which told him, nobody else, that she was turning to stone, and the light of her eye was, as it were, turned inward upon itself. Without stopping to brood over things, which she did not, her mind was constantly abiding in a different sphere away from him, dwelling afar off, or a part in a region by itself. He had her physical presence, but not her spiritual, and who cares for a body without a soul? All this time there was no confidence between them. Basil knew, indeed, the whole facts of the case, but Diana did not know he knew. He wished she would speak, but believed now she never would, and he could not ask her. Truly he had his own part to bear, and withal his sorrow and yearning tenderness for her. Sometimes his heart was nigh to break. But Diana's heart was broken. Was it comfort or was it not comfort when near the end of spring a little daughter was born to them? Diana in any circumstances was too true a woman not to enter upon a mother's riches and responsibilities with a full heart, not to enter thoroughly into a mother's joy and dignity. It was a beautiful something that had come into her life so far as itself was concerned, But no young mother's hands ever touched more tenderly the little pink bundle committed to them, nor ever any mother's eyes hung more intently over her wonderful new possession. But lift the burden from Diana's heart, her baby did not. There was something awful about it, too, for it was another bond that bound her to a man she did not love. When Diana was strong enough, she sometimes shed floods of tears over the little unconscious face, THE ONLY HUMAN confidant SHE DARED TRUST WITH HER SECRET. BEFORE THIS TIME HER TEARS HAD BEEN FEW. SOMETHING IN THE BABY TOOK THE HARDNESS FROM HER, OR ELSE GAVE ONE OF THOSE INEXPLICABLE TOUCHES TO THE SPRING OF TEARS, WHICH WE CAN NEITHER RESIST NOR ACCOUNT FOR. BUT THE BABY'S FATHER WAS AS FOND OF HER AS HER MOTHER, AND HAD A RIGHT TO BE, DIANA KNEW, AND THAT TRIED HER. SHE GRUDGED BASIL THE RIGHT. ON THE WHOLE, I THINK, HOWEVER, THE BABY DID DIANA GOOD, As for Basil, it did him good. He thanked God, and took courage. The summer had begun when Diana was able to come downstairs again. One afternoon she was there, in her little parlour, come down for a change. The windows were open, and she sat thinking of many things. Her easy-chair had been moved down to this room, and Diana, in white, as Basil liked to see her, was lying back in it, close beside the window. "'June was on the hills and in the air, and in the garden, "'for a bunch of red roses stood in a glass on the table, "'and one was fastened at Diana's belt, "'and another stuck in her beautiful hair. "'Not by her own hands, truly. "'Basil had brought in the roses a little while ago, "'and held them to her nose, "'and then put one in her hair and one in her belt. "'Diana suffered it, "'all careless and unknowing of the exquisite effect, "'which her husband smiled at, and then went off, "'for his work called him. "'She had heard his horse's hoof-beats, "'going away at a gallop, "'and the sound carried her thoughts back, away, "'as a little thing will, "'to a time when Mr. Masters used to come to her old home "'and visit her mother and her, "'and then ride off so. "'Yes, and in those days another came too, "'and June days were sweet then as now, "'and roses bloomed, "'and the robins were whistling then also, she remembered.' Did their fates and life-courses never change? Was it all June to them every year? How the robins whistled their answer, All June to them every year. And the smell of roses did not change, Nor the colour of the light, And the fresh green of the young foliage Was deep and bright and glittering to-day As ever it was. Just the same. And a human life could have all sweet scents And bright tints and glad sounds fall out of it, And not to come back. "'There is nothing but duty left,' thought Diana, "'and duty, with all the sap gone out of it. "'Duty was left a dry tree, and more, "'a tree so full of thorns that she could not touch it "'without being stung and pierced. "'Yet, even so, to this stake of duty she was bound.' "'Diana sat cheerlessly gazing out into the June sunlight, "'which laughed at her with no power to gain a smile in return. "'When a step came along the narrow entry,' "'and the door was filled with Mrs. Starling's presence. "'Mother and daughter looked at each other "'in a peculiar way they had now. "'Diana's face cold, Mrs. Starling's face hard. "'Well,' said the latter, "'how are you getting along? "'You see, I am downstairs. "'I see you're doing nothing. "'Mr. Masters won't let me. "'Humph! When I had a baby four weeks old, "'I had my own way.' "'And so would you, if you wanted to have it. "'My husband will not let me have it.' "'That's fool's nonsense, Diana. "'If you are the girl I take you for, "'you can do whatever you like with your husband. "'No man that ever lived would make me sit with my hands before me. "'Who's got the baby?' "'Jemima.' "'How's Jemima to do her work and your work, too? "'She can't do it.' "'No, but Mr. Masters is going to get another person to help take care of baby.' "'A nurse?' cried Mrs. Starling, aghast. "'No, not exactly, but somebody to help me.' "'Are you weak and sickly, Diana?' "'No, mother.' "'Then you don't want another girl, any more than a frog, wants an umbrella. "'Put your baby in the crib and teach her to lie there when you are busy. "'That's the way you were brought up.' "'You must talk to Mr. Masters, mother.' "'I don't want to talk to Mr. Masters. I've got something else to do.' BUT YOU CAN TALK TO HIM, DIANA, AND HE'LL DO WHAT YOU SAY. IT'S THE OTHER WAY, MOTHER. I MUST DO WHAT HE SAYS. DIANA'S TONE WAS PECULIAR. THEN YOU'RE TURNED SOFT. I THINK I AM TURNED HARD. YOUR HUSBAND IS EASY TO MANAGE, FOR YOU. IS HE? SAID DIANA. I AM GLAD IT ISN'T TRUE. I DESPISE MEN THAT ARE EASY TO MANAGE. I AM GLAD I CAN RESPECT HIM AT ANY RATE. Mrs. Starling looked at her daughter with an odd expression. It was curious and uncertain, but she asked no question. She seemed to change the subject, though perhaps the connection was close. Did you hear the family are coming to Elmfield again this summer? Diana's lips formed the word, no. The breath of it hardly got out. Yes, they're coming, sure enough. Feemy will be here next week, and her sister, what's her name? Mrs. Reverdy, is here now. "'Silence. "'I suppose they'll fill the house with company as they did last time, "'and cut up their shines as usual. "'Well, they don't come in my way, but you'll have to see em I guess.' "'Why? "'You know they make a great to-do about your husband in that family. "'And Genevieve Reverdy seems uncommonly fond of you. "'She asked me no end of questions about you on Sabbath.' "'There flushed a hot colour into Diana's cheeks, "'which faded away and left them very pale.' She hasn't grown old a bit, Mrs. Starling went on, talking rather uneasily. Nor she hain't grown wise, neither. She can't ask you how you do without a giggle. And she had dressed herself to come to church, as if the church was a fair, and she was something for sale. Flowers and feathers, and laces and ribbons, a little there and a little here. Bows on her gloves, and bows on her shoes, and bows on her gown. I believe she would have tucked some into the corners of her mouth, if they would have stayed." Diana made no reply. She was looking out into the sunlit hillside, in view from her window, and had grown visibly whiter since her mother came in. Mrs. Starling reviewed her for that instant with a keen, anxious, searching gaze, which changed before Diana turned her head. "'I can't make out for my part what such folks are in the world for,' she went on. "'They don't do no good to themselves nor to nobody else, and fools mostly contrive to do harm.' "'Well, she's coming to see you. "'She'll be along one of these days.' "'To see me,' Diana echoed. "'So she says. "'Maybe it's all flummery. "'I dare say it is, but she talked a lot of it. "'You'd have thought there weren't anyone else in the world "'she cared about seeing.' Mrs. Starling went upstairs at this point to see the baby, and Diana sat looking out of the window with her thoughts in a wild confusion of pain. Pain and fright, I might say. And yet her senses took the most delicate notice of all there was in the world outside to attract them. Could it be June, once so fair and laughing, that smote her now with such blows of memory's hammer? Or was it memory using June? She saw the bright glisten of the leaves upon the hillside, the rich growth of the grass, the fair beams of the summer sun. She noticed minutely the stage of development which the chestnut blossoms had reached, one or two dandelion heads, a robin redbreast that was making himself exceedingly at home on the little spread of greensward behind the house. I don't know if Diana's senses were trying to cheat her heart, but from one item to another her eye went and her mind followed, in a maze of pain that was not cheated at all, till she heard her mother's steps forsake the house. Then Diana's head sank. And then, even at the moment, as if the robin's whistle had brought them, the words came to her, Call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver thee, and thou shalt glorify me. An absolute promise of the Lord to his people. Could it be true, when trouble was beyond deliverance? And then came Basil's faith to her help. She knew how he believed every word, no matter how difficult or impossible. And Diana fell on her knees and hid her face, and fled to the one only last refuge of earth's despairing children, How even God could deliver her, Diana did not see, for the ground seemed giving away beneath her feet. But it is the man who cannot swim who clutches the rope for life and death, and it is when we are hopeless of our own strength that we throw ourselves utterly upon the one hand that is strong. Diana was conscious of little else but of doing that. To form a connected prayer was beyond her she rather held up the promise as it were with both hands and pleaded it mutely and with the intensity of one hovering between life and death the house was still she feared no disturbance and she remained motionless without change of posture either of mind or body for some length of time gradually the i will deliver thee i will deliver thee began to emphasize itself to her consciousness like a whisper in the storm and Diana burst into a terrible flood of tears. That touch of divine sympathy broke her heart. She sobbed for minutes, only keeping her sobs too noiseless to reach and alarm Miss Collins' ears, till her agony was softened and changed at last into something more like a child's exhausted and humble tears, while her breast rose and fell so pitifully. With that came also a vague floating thought or two. My duty, I'll do my duty, I'll do my duty. It was over, and she had risen and was resting in her chair, feeling weaker and yet much stronger than before, waiting till she could dare show her face to Miss Collins, when a little low tap was heard at the front door. Company? But Diana had noticed no step and heard no wheels. However, there was no escape for her if it were company. She waited, and the tap was repeated. I don't know what about it the second time sent a thrill all down Diana's nerves. THE DOORS WERE OPEN, AND SEEING THAT MISS COLLINS DID NOT STIR, DIANA UTTERED A SOFT, COME. SHE WAS HARDLY SURPRISED AT WHAT FOLLOWED. SHE SEEMED TO KNOW BY INSTINCT WHAT IT WOULD BE. WHERE SHALL I COME? ASKED A VOICE, AND A PAIR OF BRISK HIGH-HEELED SHOES TRIPPED INTO THE HOUSE, AND A LITTLE TRILLING LAUGH, EQUALLY LIGHT AND MEANINGLESS, FOLLOWED THE WORDS. WHERE SHALL I COME? IT'S AN ENCHANTED CASTLE. I SEE NOBODY. But the next instant she could not say that, for Diana showed herself at the door of her room, and Mrs. Reverdy hastened forward. Diana was calm now, with a possession of herself which she marvelled at even then. Bringing her visitor into the little parlour, she placed herself again in her chair, with her face turned from the light. "'And here I find you. Oh, you beautiful creature,' Mrs. Reverdy burst out. "'I declare, I don't wonder at—anything—' And she laughed. The laugh grated terribly on Diana. "'I wonder if you know what a beauty you are,' she went on. "'I declare I didn't know you were half so handsome. Have you changed since three years ago?' "'I think I must,' Diana said quietly. "'But where have you been, living here in Pleasant Valley?' was the next not very polite question. "'People do live in Pleasant Valley. Did you think not?' Diana answered. "'Oh, yes.' "'No, not what we call life, you know. "'And you were always handsome. "'But three years ago you were just Diana Starling. "'And now you might be anybody.' "'I am Mr. Master's wife,' said Diana, "'setting her teeth, as it were, upon the words. "'Yes, I heard. How happened it? "'Do you know, I am afraid you have done a great deal of mischief. "'Oh, you handsome woman, you have a great deal to account for. "'Did you never think you had another admirer?' "'In those days long ago, you know?' "'What if I had?' Diana said, almost fiercely. "'Oh, of course,' said Mrs. Reverdy, with her laugh again. "'Of course it is nothing to you now. "'Girls are hard-hearted towards their old lovers, I know that. "'But weren't you a little tender towards him once? "'He hasn't forgotten his part, I can tell you. "'You mustn't be too hard-hearted, Diana.' "'If the woman could have spoken without laughing—' that little meaningless trill at the end of everything made diana nearly wild she could find no answer to the last speech and so remained silent now i have seen you again i declare i don't wonder at anything i was inclined to quarrel with him you know thinking it was just a boyish foolish fancy that he ought to get over i was a little out of patience with him but now i see you i take it all back i declare you're a woman the men might rave about you mustn't mind if they do "'There is another question, whether my husband will mind.' She said the words with a hard, relentless force upon herself. "'Is he jealous?' Laughing. "'He has no reason.' "'Reason? Oh, people are jealous without reason. They don't wait for that. Better without than with. How is Mr. Masters? Is he one of that kind? And how came he to marry you?' "'You ought not to wonder at it, with the opinion you have expressed of me.' "'Oh, no, I don't wonder at all. "'But somebody else wanted to marry you, too, "'and somebody else thought he had the best right. "'I am afraid you flirted with him. "'Or was it with Mr. Masters you flirted? "'I didn't think you were a girl to flirt, but I see. "'You would keep just quietly still, "'and they would flutter round you, like moths round a candle, "'and it would be their own fault if they got burned. "'Has Mr. Masters got burned? "'My poor moth has singed his wings badly, I can tell you. "'I am very sorry for him.' "'So am I,' Diana said gravely. "'Are you—are you really? Are you sorry for him? May I tell him you are sorry?' "'You have not said whom you are talking about,' Diana answered, with a coldness which she wondered at when she said it. "'Oh, but you know, there is only one person I could be talking about. There is only one I could care enough about to be talking for him. You cannot help but know. May I tell him you say you are sorry for him?' It would be a sort of comfort, and he wants it. You must ask Mr. Masters. What? That. Whether I may tell Evan you are sorry for him? Whether you may tell that to anybody? I don't want to tell it to but one, said Mrs. Reverdy, laughing. What has Mr. Masters to do with it? He is my husband. And calmly as Diana said it, she felt as if she would like to shriek out the words to the birds on the hillside, to the angels, if there were angels in the air. Yet she said it calmly. "'But do you ask your husband about everything you do or say?' "'If I think he would not like it.' "'But that is giving him a great deal of power. Too much. Husbands are fallible, as well as wives,' said Mrs. Reverdy, laughing. "'Mr. Masters is not fallible.' at least i never saw him fail in anything if he ever made a mistake it was when he married me and you said mrs reverdy didn't you make a mistake too in marrying somebody so much too good for me yes diana answered the little woman was a good deal baffled then have you really no kind word for evan must i tell him so diana felt as if her brain would have reeled in another minute Before she could answer came the sound of a little wailing cry from the room upstairs, and she started up. That movement was sudden, but the next were collected and slow. "'You will excuse me,' she said. "'I hear baby,' and she passed from the room like a princess. If her manner had been less discouraging, I think Mrs. Reverdy would have still pursued her point, and asked leave to follow her and see the baby.' but Diana's slow, languid dignity and gracious composure imposed upon the little woman, and she gave up the game, at least for the present. When Miss Collins, set free, hurried down, Mrs. Reverdy was gone. End of chapter 28